Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful David Meyer. David, are you ready to do this? I'm ready, George. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, excited to have you on. David is an attorney. He's the president of the Public Investors Advocate Bar Association. He is the author of The Investor Protector. He's working to make sure that the wrong financial advisor does not swindle you out of money. David, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely, yep. Uh, my name is David Meyer. My law firm is Meyer Wilson. I had probably what's called a non-traditional approach to uh, get where I am today. I actually grew up in a small town in West Virginia, and I was a former whitewater raft guide turned fire juggler on the boardwalk turned tax lawyer turned investment fraud lawyer. Uh, and I've been doing that for about 25 years. And it all started with a case I had. I walked in the door of my office where I was an associate at uh, 28 years old. General walked in, had a problem with the stockbroker. At that point, I was a tax lawyer. He couldn't find a lawyer, and he just begged me to take the time to listen to him and, and try to help him. And uh, to make a long story short, that case turned into a huge case. I ended up representing 250 retirees in a small town in Ohio against Prudential Securities. I uh, went to a jury trial, about one-month jury trial, and uh, we got uh, what was and still is the largest jury verdict in the state of Ohio, uh, $261 million jury verdict against Prudential Securities on behalf of my 250 retiree clients. And that, that case is what launched my career, and ever since, I've been representing individual investors, particularly retirees, whose broker or advisor has lied to them, cheated, or stole their money. Wow, what a story. Do you still do fire juggling, David? Uh, I, I do. In fact, <laughs> in the lockdown, I got back into it. Uh, so uh, I think my kids make fun of me, but uh, I still do that a little bit. Uh, I don't do it publicly. I do it more privately, uh, a little safer, and maybe I'm not as good as I once was. <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine that there are some uh, through lines between doing a jury trial against a massive financial firm and juggling fire. Well, and I even mentioned that in my book, that I think uh, – being a whitewater raft guide on class five rapids, you know, taking paying customers down a, a swirly river with huge waves and juggling fire, all that gets you ready for uh, uh, having a jury trial against potential securities with, you know, unlimited uh, budgets on the other side, sophisticated lawyers. Um, and uh, see, I, I definitely learned uh, trial by fire in, in several different aspects. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I just in, in my shoes if I were doing that I'm 42 years old I certainly would have been certainly would have been intimidated by it just for all the reasons you just laid out um, so that, that 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 must have been a heck of a process and that did that just give evidence to that's that's sort of a funny uh, funny term to use with an attorney did, did did that really show you wow this is a problem and this is something that I should really focus on. Yeah, so I was I was a young lawyer. I was trying to find my passion and my path. I knew I didn't really want to be a tax lawyer because it turns out reading the U.S. tax code all day every day is, mm. is, is not that exciting for me. Uh, so uh, I grew up, my dad was a, a more traditional plaintiff, uh, personal injury lawyer. So, you know, he represented individuals that uh, in car accidents and medical malpractice cases, folks who suffered significant personal injury. And that was never a, a passion of mine, you know, to do what's called single event personal injury cases. But finding this case is, you know, 
end up representing people who are down so I could help level the playing field and fight for their justice. But it was economic damages that I was fighting for. So I found a passion of folks who have suffered devastating financial harm as the result of the misconduct of others is where uh, my skill set, my, my compassion, uh, just that's where it all kind of intersected together. And, at the, and there, at the time, there were not a lot of lawyers doing this work. And even today, you know, 25 years later, there's just not a lot of lawyers that do this on a national basis, you know, with a full staff, a full team of experts. Uh, so I've tried to build a team that, that I know I needed an army to win Wall Street back when I took on Prudential, you know, 25 years ago. And that's proven the case. And that's what we've been fighting for ever since. Nice. Well, I certainly appreciate that. I am fond of of railing against big financial institutions. Um, so I certainly appreciate your work. So 25, 25 years later, uh, is the problem bigger smaller the same well our population is aging so the number one target of investment fraud are the elderly uh you know they're they're easy targets uh because they're often alone they some oftentimes are suffering from cognitive decline uh and uh they you know they have the money they're, you know the reason they always say the reason why bank robbers rob banks <laughs> because that's where the money is right well the reason why fraudsters target the elderly is because those folks have you know accumulated wealth over 30 40 50 years so they it's really the perfect storm and although the, the securities industry has gotten more sophisticated in in catching a lot of different types of fraud for example churning is a phrase that many of your listeners may be familiar with where the brokers just buy and sell stocks repeatedly well with the advent of computers and, and more sophisticated monitoring that type of, of fraud is decreasing uh, but it's but as computers get more sophisticated than other things like making fake statements, I mean, I've, I've got, I talk about a couple of stories in my books where brokers lose their clients' money and then start producing fake statements so their clients never learn, you know, uh, until it's too late that, uh, you know, they've been a victim of investment fraud. So times change and some things get better, uh, but and then, and then some things get worse. And these financial industries continue to grow. Uh, there are many more financial advisors and types of financial advisors than there were 30, 40, 50 years ago. And in my opinion, the industry intensely makes it opaque to try to understand the difference between the types of advisors, the, the, the duties they owe, how they're regulated. So in my book, I try to put all that together in a way that uh, hopefully you know, folks can understand to make them better informed investors. Yeah. Amen to that. Interesting. That was something that I was curious about. You, you mentioned Prudential. That's a that's obviously a really really big company, and my guess, if I just had to shoot a guess out, it would have been maybe smaller, more independent type financial advisors are more capable of perpetrating these kinds of crimes. But that might not be true. Well, I, I think that's a, per, a perception, but I, 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 yeah, I believe that is not the whole picture. Look, most financial advisors are honest; they do their job, they adhere to the, their obligations. Uh, but there's a there's enough a small enough of the of the larger picture. There's over a million financial advisors, and even though a small minority of them cause problems, the devastation they cause can be dramatic, and you know, cause people to lose their entire life savings. So. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's there's a tremendous amount of this. I mean, billions of dollars is lost every year. But it happens to large firms and small firms. So, uh, and, you know, we can talk about some of the tips that, that I advise people to go through to, to reduce their chances of ever being in this situation. But uh, people shouldn't be uh, under the, shouldn't believe that just because they're working with a large firm that no problems are going to happen. Because most of my cases are uh, involving advisors that work for 
for brokerage firms and financial institutions that people heard of. Hmm. Got it. So are there are there you you certainly mentioned churning and creating fake statements are there really common cases that 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 that, that, that come across your desk or common i think you understand what i'm trying to ask yeah so the most common situation we see is uh a, a client who has worked 30 40 50 years accumulated uh, their life savings they need that money to grow at a, at a modest reasonable uh, amount, but also safe. they need it to be safe because they don't have the ability to re-earn that money. If you're 70 years old and you've worked for 40 or 50 years, uh, that's, that's the money you've got. And it, God forbid you lose it all, then you can't go to work for another 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and those are the folks, those are, those, are, those are the folks who often, you know, go to the professionals. I mean, that's who, funny, that's who Wall Street wants. But, you know, they want to uh, manage the money of the retirees and the soon-to-be retirees and retirement savers who have saved up and accumulated well. Um, but my most, the most common case is when someone like that goes to an advisor and the advisor recommends something that's inappropriate. Maybe it's, it's way too risky uh, or it's, it's, it's an atypical uh, alternative investment, a private placement, you know, something that maybe generates much more commission than a more traditional investment. Uh, so typically, it's, it's the, the most common case is really a, a negligent breach of duty, duty case where the recommendation uh, and the implementation of the plan or the portfolio for the advisor is inappropriate for the advisor given or inappropriate for the investor given that particular investor's investor profile. Got it. Well, that certainly makes sense. And oftentimes but there's then... A, but there's, go ahead. Yeah, there's also cases... There's also, I'm sorry. There's also cases of just outright theft and Ponzi schemes. So it really goes the whole gambit. I mean, there's there's mistakes, uh, there's uh, you know negligence, but then all the way to the other side... You know, there's there's fraud and there's Ponzi schemes and there's theft. So, you know, there's just a whole wide range of, of really bad things that can happen uh, that, uh, you know, folks can, you know, there's some steps that we can talk about, steps that folks can take to minimize the chance uh, of, of, them, of them getting in the situation. Yeah, no, that certainly makes sense. And then I, I imagine that where there's smoke, there's probably, I'm going to try to stop using uh, metaphors and analogies where there's one there's probably more so it's possible that the advisor has also done this to other people yes yeah, so we have a lot of what we call group cases so when we see a situation when I uh, several of the stories are included in my book where there's a lot of people that may retire at the same time from the same employer hmm. and a financial advisor gets wind of that so they have free lunches and free dinners and and presentations and then they get all the folks to uh, transfer their uh, their the retirement accounts to the advisor, and if that advisor lies, cheats, or steals, and the money's gone, I mean, we've I've had cases with as many as 150 people. Uh, so you're right. Uh, oftentimes, when when someone goes bad, it affects a lot of people uh, just because there's more money involved, of course. Yeah. So this term, I think I got it correct: negligent breach of fiduciary. Can you just sort of dumb that down for me? Right. All it is is looking at what happened in the situation and comparing to what would have happened had the advisor adhered to their obligations, you know, done it right. So if you look at, let's take a 75-year-old couple uh, that they've worked for 40 years, they've saved uh, half a million dollars, um, and, you know, they need a, a modest return for this money to, to, you know, make it for the rest of their lives. They have that. They might have Social Security. They go to advisor. And, and that advisor puts it all in a, a concentrated position in a high risk equity portfolio in the market, and it goes down 80%, right? So they, he didn't steal the money. 
uh, the, you know, he didn't pocket the money and, and run run across the world. Uh, he did actually invest in it, invest it, but because of what he invested in, uh, it, it lost 80%. And then you compare that, and that person comes to me, and I compare that to what an appropriate financial advisor would have done. What should have a, a financial advisor who was adhering to his or her uh, obligation, they would have they would have sat down with that with that investor. They would have gone through their investment experience, their risk profile, their tax situation, uh, their health situation, uh, any other income source, and they would have they would have planned and implemented an investment portfolio that was appropriate for them given their specific situation. It would have been a well diversified asset allocated portfolio, some equities, some bonds, maybe some international, but it would have been a well diversified portfolio. So that's a model portfolio over there, and you compare that to what this advisor did by putting it all in a, in a concentrated, over concentrated, high tech, high risk. Uh, as an example, portfolio. And that's negligence. It's the same thing you do, you know, if you have a, a, a medical negligence case or any kind of negligence case, you look at what happened and you compare it to what should have happened by somebody who is adhering to the proper standard of care. Got it. So I, I guess I'm, I'm, I think people who are listening say, well, I certainly don't want to fall victim to this. So how do we, how do we sort of unpack that? So the reason why I wrote the book, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that wrote the book. So I'm the lawyer that is promoting a book, hoping that uh, this results in less people needing me, right? Um, I hope that fewer people will ever need to hire an investment fund lawyer like me by writing by writing this book. I, I, this book is body armor for retirement savers. There's some some steps that, that I go through in the book, and I honestly believe this: that if, if your listeners go through the steps outlined in this book, the chances that they'll ever need a lawyer like me gets reduced substantially. I mean, over half the calls I get, and, I'm, and I've been doing this for 25 years, we probably get 20 calls a week. Over half the calls I get never would have happened uh, if folks would have gone through uh, a few of the steps that I review in the book. And, and you know, this book isn't a handbook. It's not a lecture. It's not a, it's not a reference book that I think, those are, I think those are boring. Nobody likes listening to lectures. I think we learn best through experience sharing. So in this book, I share the stories of my clients who have who've really triumphed over unbelievable deceit by their trusted advisors and, and have overcome the you know, unthinkable financial loss. And I, I tell those stories with the, with the hope that people will read them um, and also follow, listen, look at the steps that we go, go through at the beginning of the book, and they'll learn a lesson. Uh, it's, they'll have an interesting read. They'll learn a lesson, and that'll help them you know, uh, protect them going into the future. So let's go through a, a couple steps. Yeah. The first one is super easy, super easy. Uh, and this can be done in your living room, sitting in your pajamas for free and it takes five to 10 minutes. And that's looking up your financial advisor before you ever hire them. Or if you're currently working with a financial advisor, you can look them up like sitting in your living room. They'll never even know and it's free and you can do it over and over. And you go to brokercheck.com and that, that is a database of, of records of all financial advisors in this country. It's maintained uh, jointly by the federal regulators and the state regulators. So you can go in, type the name of your advisor, the firm with which they're affiliated, and a record will come up. And the record will, will reflect their employment history. It'll reflect whether there's been any customer complaints, uh, whether there's been any regulatory fines. Uh, and it's right there. And it's, to my knowledge, it's the only professional industry that provides this access of information to the consumer. If you want to look up a lawyer on a nationwide basis to see if they've had any complaints or their employment history, you can't find that anywhere. You can't do that for doctors. Uh, now, it's not 100%, and your listeners need to know that there are holes in this database. There, there's a process where brokers can go through and try to get some of these records erased, 
and I'm lobbying hard uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission to try to reduce that and get rid of that loophole. But with that caveat, it's a great uh, resource of information. And I will tell you that 90% of the financial advisors have less than two complaints on their record. Mm -hmm. uh, most will have none. But if you, so you go there, and if you see your advisor has five complaints, and there's absolutely no reason you should be working with that advisor, in my opinion. And let me tell you a story, and this story is in the book, just to reflect how important this is. I represented uh, 75 clients uh, who went, uh, after they retired, they went to their uh, broker, this was a large uh, national firm, and uh, he lost 80% of their money. Uh, and we were able to recover a lot of that money, get the money back in their retirement accounts. But this guy had 75 complaints on his record. They were all my, my cases. Uh, and the firm didn't fire him. Wow. You know, I don't know why they didn't fire him. My guess is because he was generating enough revenue to justify him being there. Well, this gentleman left that firm, the big national, international firm, really, and went to a tiny little firm. Uh, and then once he went to that tiny little firm, he got, he got involved in a Ponzi scheme and lost all of his clients' money again. But so many people went with him at the new firm, and none of them knew to check broker check, to check the public record. If they would have checked, George, they would have seen 50 pages of complaints. I mean, I've never seen a report. It's called a CRD report. I've never seen a report that long. And what happened, once folks got involved in the Ponzi scheme, they hired me, uh, and then we got, we got an award in, in arbitration. Uh, we collected one, and then they went out of business. And that's another problem. Uh, that uh, folks will look, look out for is by making sure that the advisor that they work with is affiliated with a large firm. So one, we're going to check their record. We're going to do that from our living room in our pajamas, free of charge. Uh, and I recommend you if, for elderly parents, check their advisor, your aunt, your uncle, uh, everybody, you know, should, should, should do this for their advisors and anyone they care about. It is the number one way to reduce the chance of becoming a victim of investment fraud. The second point is to work with a large firm. You mentioned that, it, you, know, and, you know, you thought many folks would think this only happens with small, the small firms. It happens with advisors with all shapes and sizes. But I can only help folks. God forbid you go through this. You invest your money with an advisor. They lose all of it. You call me. If, if that advisor is affiliated with a large firm, at least there's a firm that can pay a judgment. You know, you're going to hire a lawyer like me. We've got to go through the process and win. But if it's a large firm, then they'll have the, the financial capability. What happens is there are thousands of tiny little firms out there. So a financial advisor has to be affiliated with a firm, but they don't have to be affiliated with a large firm. They just have to be affiliated with a licensed broker dealer, for example. But there's tons of these small firms that have little or no assets. So even though the person is affiliated with a brokerage firm, if it's tiny and God forbid there's a problem, then a lawyer like me can't do anything because there's nothing to collect. You know, you can't get blood from turnip kind of thing. So, so many of the clients, that, the potential clients that call me have great cases on liability. They're entitled to all their money back under the law, but there's no firm there. Um, and if the, if, so if you focus on checking the record and going with a large firm, that will go a long way in protecting yourself. And also understand, because a lot of people at this point in the process think, wait a minute, David, isn't there insurance? Mm. Isn't, aren't financial advisors and brokerage firms required to have insurance? And the answer is, unfortunately, no. There is no law or regulation in the United States that requires financial advisors to carry insurance. So these firms George, can manage millions or billions of dollars of money uh, and have no insurance. I mean, I'm for, I know there are firms out there that manage over a billion dollars of people's life savings and have no insurance. Uh, and I've had that situation just 
collapse on my clients where, again, they've got great cases on liability, uh, but there's, there's no money to collect. So uh, you need to be working with a licensed advisor. You need to do that check on the Internet. You need to make sure you're working with a large firm and understand that there is no requirement for insurance. And my final tip is, and this may sound easy, uh, but don't assume that you're too smart, too rich, too educated, or too sophisticated to ever fall victim to investment fraud. Most of my clients, and I've done over a thousand cases over the last 25 years, most of my clients are educated, smart, sophisticated in their own world. I mean, they're not sophisticated in investments, but sophisticated in the life that they live. Um, I've represented accountants, engineers, lawyers, CEOs, athletes. Uh, so uh, oftentimes people just think that, hey, this isn't going to happen to me. This only happens to 90-year-old you know, widows. Uh, and it does happen to them, unfortunately, but it happens to all types of different people. So everyone needs to keep their guard up uh, and don't think that they're too smart or too sophisticated to ever you know, get in this situation. Those are powerful tips right there, sir. I like it. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage? Where can they get a copy of The Investor Protector? So my law firm website is InvestorClaims.com. That's InvestorClaims.com. And we have blogs and videos, educational videos about types of investments and types of uh, the standard of care. So you can learn a lot about uh, the industry and learn a lot about our law firm and the types of cases we've handled uh, and, and then the book is called The Investor Protector, and it's available on Amazon. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show David your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to InvestorClaims.com and check out all the great resources that David and his firm have on the site. Pick up a copy of The Investor Protector at Amazon and protect yourself from, um, from getting taken advantage of. Thanks again, David. Thank you. Pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.